Welcome to Hope is Here, bringing hope to those struggling with life's difficult situations. Welcome to Hope is Here. My name is Greg Horn. We are looking at one of the disciples, one of the 12 guys that Jesus did life with intimately for about two years before he died upon a cross and then went to heaven. And we're looking at the life of James, James and John. Uh, no, the sons of Zebedee, known as the sons of thunder. And yesterday we just took a look at how James was a part of uh, Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Yet James was never mentioned in the Bible by himself. He was mentioned with Peter and with John, his brother, but only was listed one time just by himself, and that was when his life was ended. Uh, because of being a follower of Jesus. And so if you missed yesterday's program, really want to encourage you to go check it out. I also want to remind you we have a YouTube channel. hope you'll go to that. Uh, it's simply Hope is Here. And then type in my name, Greg Horn, H-O-R-N, and hope you'll subscribe to that. And uh, we just continue to grow with more listeners and subscribers on that each week. And so appreciate that. But yesterday we wrapped up looking how James was a part of some really powerful moments. Uh, the one where Jairus, his 12-year-old daughter, was raised from the dead. And James also, along with Peter and John, witnessed Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Uh, if you're driving, I'm going to read it for you so you can practice safe driving. But it says, Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my, clearly, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified, and they fell face down to the ground. Then Jesus came over them and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. You know, friends, as I was reading those nine verses in Matthew chapter 17, it just really in my spirit spoke to me that Jesus prepares us for something bigger that's going to happen in the future quite often. You know, we don't know what's going to happen, but Jesus knew and he had warned them that he was going to die upon a cross, but he just wanted to show them the power of what God could do and that he was truly the son of God. And yet, you can't blame Peter. Peter's like, hey, man, let's build some memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And, uh, man, let's just kind of hang out here for a while because this is awesome. <laughs> I mean, you know, Peter, you got to love it, man, his passion. He just wanted to enjoy that moment. And that kind of made me think about, you know, that we weren't made to live on the mountaintop. You know, those guys went up on that mountain to experience this with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. 
And yet Jesus said, no, we're not staying here. We've got to go back down and don't tell anybody about what you've seen. So friends, I would encourage you today with a couple things. One, I want you to think about a time when you've experienced God that you will never forget. And then secondly, I want to encourage you, uh, man, if, if you're walking the valley right now, know that that's okay. You'll, you'll be on the mountaintop again. But this side of heaven, friends, I truly believe we weren't made to live on the mountaintop. Heaven will be the mountaintop. There'll be more, no more pain, no more suffering, no more cancer, no more uh, divorce, no more suicide, no more bills to pay, all right? <laughs> no more getting out and scraping the ice off your cars in the winter, right? <laughs> but in all seriousness, friends, I don't think we were made to live on the mountaintop. And Jesus took them up there and let them see what the mountaintop was like. But doesn't mean that we're always having to be in gloom and doom when we're walking in the valley. But I just want to encourage you today, don't get too high on the mountaintop experiences in life, but don't get too low when you're walking through the valley. And in my life, maybe you're like me, the times that I've grown the closest to God is when I've been walking through the valley of life. When I'm walking through those valleys and I, I'm just like, Jesus, I need you. Leads me to that famous poem, The Footprints in the Sand. You know, it's that classic where it says that there were two people walking along the beach, two sets of footprints, and then uh, all of a sudden there was just one set, and the person said, hey, to the other, hey, where were you uh, in the storms of my life? Uh, there was only one set of footprints. I did not see you there. And I love the response that God gave to this person. He said, that one set of footprints was actually me. <laughs> I was the one carrying you through those storms, through those trials, and through those tribulations. And so I'm kind of paraphrasing that footprints in the sand, but you get the point. That sometimes when we wonder where God is, He's actually the one that's carrying us. It's not us carrying ourselves. Now the good part is that sometimes we do have to dig down deep, use some willpower, and help do that. But friends, most of the time I've found that I've got to ask God to be a part of it. And there's been times where I've been brought to both knees where I've had to surrender to Him. And I'm so thankful to know that He's always willing to help. Let's look at another part of where James is included in the Bible. And it's a powerful teaching moment I think that we can learn from his life. In Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 34, it says, They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said, Sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You know, friends, that's one of the things that I love about being a follower of Jesus. Jesus understands what it's like to be stressed out. And he also knows what, what it's like to grieve. I mean, Jesus, I mean, he told him, I'm so deeply troubled and distressed. My soul's crushed with grief to the point of death. Friends, that's some serious pain. That's some serious trouble. That's some serious distress right there. So today you may say, you know what, man, that, that's, that's me right now, Greg. I'm deeply troubled. I'm distressed. In fact, a loss of a loved one of mine or a loss of a job, a loss of a season of life. You know, friends, uh, it doesn't have to be just a physical death of a person, which obviously can be excruciating at times. 
but it can be just life as you expect thought thought it would be life as you have known it and you just whether it's a job ending or a friendship um having to move uh you know different place a, a new home which you've got all these memories in another home i mean the list can go on and on of things that the season ends and it just grieves us friends and I think one of the things that we haven't done a good job, and especially in the church, and I know I've been guilty of, is we don't allow ourselves to grieve, to grieve losses. Um, you know, it's especially I feel so sorry for women when they have a miscarriage. Um, you know, it's a loss of life. And I know people that, uh, you know, just said that nobody acknowledged it. And I know that I've had to learn and grow in that and had close friends and uh, know people that have been through that and just trying to, help the, them to grieve, and, and especially the men, too, who don't know what to do sometimes. I just walked through that with a close, close uh, friends of mine recently, and I just uh, want you to know that Jesus understands stress, and he understands grief. One of the things I do love about Jesus is that he models how we should, what we should do when we're stressed and when we're grieving. He asked for help. He asked for help. He asked Peter, James, and John. He was with the 12 guys at the Last Supper just a few minutes before, but he asked them specifically, sit here while I go and pray. I love that. Jesus, the Son of God, in his time of need, asked for help. And friends, I know a lot of you are like me. I don't mind helping others at all. But man, I sure don't like to ask for help. Anybody else can relate to that besides me? And yet, friends, Jesus said, hey, I need help. Please sit here with me. And he just was honest about his feelings. My soul's crushed with grief to the point of death. So stay here and keep watch with me. He shared what was in his heart, and he also asked for help. Please stay here. He asked me first, sit with me. But then he said, hey, stay here and keep watch with me. And friends, I love that. Jesus never asked us to do anything that he's not done before. So I want to ask you today, I want to kind of get in your business a little bit. Who is your crew? Jesus had Peter, James, and John. And I know for a lot of men, they're like, you mean crew? I don't even have one person, much less a crew. And friends, I want to pray that you uh, you would find that person. I know some ladies that listen to this same thing. They have lots of so-called friends, but nobody that really, really knows them. And I just want to encourage you maybe to ask God who might be that one friend that you could bear your burdens with and share with them and somebody could pray with you. And I just want to encourage you if somebody does that and thinks maybe you're that person, don't feel like you have to have the answers. Just listen. Just listen. What a blessing it is. And the third and final thing I want to share with you from this Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 34, who is it that you can sit with today? What I mean by that is maybe you like can't physically sit with somebody. Maybe it's just calling somebody and just saying, you know, I'm going to set about 15 minutes aside and just listen to them. Just ask how they're doing, knowing that they're going through a tough season, and just listen. If the Holy Spirit gives you something, then that's great. And, and please answer and share that wisdom, especially if it's some personal experience. But sometimes I think people just need to know that somebody cares. And one of the greatest ways you show that you care is by sharing some of your valuable time, and also just listening. And so I'm thankful that Jesus modeled that for us. It's just so, so powerful. 
Well, we wrap up looking at James as the son of thunder, uh, the place where he looked at and got that nickname and it showed played out in the Bible was when they were trying to uh, go to uh, Jerusalem. And this is in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. And uh, disciples and Jesus sent messengers on ahead of them. They went to a Samaritan village to make arrangements, but the people would not welcome Jesus because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. And the people in Samaria, they didn't like Jews. And, of course, Jesus, they put a sign on the cross, the king of the Jews. And so when James and John heard this, that they were not able to get accommodations there in uh the Samaritan village, as they traveled to Jerusalem, they were fired up. They said, Lord, you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they journeyed on to another village. Friends, it's so easy to get offended, and Jesus could easily got offended. But he just said, you know what, we'll go another way. They, they made other accommodations. They looked at plan B. And I want to encourage you today, if uh, you struggle with getting offended, um, great book I read several years ago. In fact, a, a new revised edition's come out because it just recently celebrated its 20th anniversary. But it's a book called The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. And this book will really help you um, if you struggle with getting offended. And it's based from a Christian perspective and, and shows talks about that one of the greatest ways the enemy loves to cause offense and disunity is by brothers and sisters in Christ and family members getting offended. So I want to encourage you today, maybe get a copy of Bait, The Bait of Satan and learn what Jesus taught James and John, that sometimes, yes, your plans may not go the way you scheduled them, but just go to plan B and not get offended. Thanks for listening today. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow. My name's Greg Horn, and this is Hope Is Here. Thank you for listening to Hope Is Here podcast. To listen to one of our previous programs or to make a tax-deductible donation, please go to our website, hopeishere.today. That's hopeishere.today. Did you know that Hope Is Here is also available on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter? You can find all of these at Hope Is Here Lex. Also, check out the daily one-minute Cup of Hope, available on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, that helps you keep your cup hopeful. To find out more information, go to our website, www.hopeisheretoday.org. That's www.hopeisheretoday.org.